Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Have you ever found yourself in front of the TV about to start a brand new show? Maybe you had a friend who's constantly talking about this show. You got to watch it. So to get them off your back, you agreed you'll watch the first episode. And then when it ended, you said, well, now I got to watch the second one. Can't leave on a cliffhanger. And then you watch the third one and the fourth one. And in an embarrassingly short amount of time, you work your way through a lot of episodes. And then one day, uh, like all the times before, when it ended, you thought, okay, I'll, I'll watch the next one, only to discover that was the end of the season. I went, Wait, what? There's no more? Jump on Google. When does season two start? January of 2025? How am I supposed to wait that long? I need to know if they're going to get married. I need to know what's behind the door. Is the president going to get assassinated? <laughs> We've all been in that situation. When it comes to the Bible, many of us know the, the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many of us know about the stone being rolled away. Many of us know about the empty tomb. How many of us know what happened in the next episode? Here's the great news. We don't have to wait on some Hollywood studio to crank out more content. We got everything we need right here in the Word of God. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to take some time to see what happened beyond the grave. And we're going to look at some very specific interactions that Jesus had with his disciples that have massive implications on how you and I live today in light of the resurrection. So to guide our time, we are going to begin in the New Testament gospel of Luke chapter 24. And we're also going to be spending some time in John chapter 21. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, make your way over to Luke 24. And we're going to pick things up where we left off last week on Resurrection Sunday. This is Luke 24, beginning in verse 13, and it reads, Now that same day, two were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So to give you some timelines, this is Easter Sunday morning. Jesus first appeared to Mary and then to the women, and now the resurrected Jesus has crossed paths with these two travelers on their way to a village called Emmaus. And it says they were kept from recognizing him. What does that mean? Well, in all likelihood, it probably means that they just simply didn't recognize him because the last images they had of Jesus, he looked a whole lot different. His face was probably swollen from all of the hits and abuse he took on his way to the cross, maybe a black eye, maybe some missing teeth. His face was stained with blood, his, his flesh torn open. But this guy who's on the road with these two travelers, he was clean cut. He was fresh-faced. He wasn't carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders anymore. He looked like a guy who finished the job. This was Jesus in his resurrected body. And he joins these two guys and strikes up a conversation. Verse 17, he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? 
he asked. You know, it was a little more than a year ago when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock on live TV and everybody wanted to talk about it. You couldn't turn on a news outlet. You couldn't listen to anything on the radio, even sports talk. Everyone wanted to talk about the slap. It was the topic of conversation in your home and on your job, at your school. If by Monday you didn't know what was going on, then somebody would have looked at you funny. And here's Jesus, and, and he's saying, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, what are we talking about? We're talking about what everyone has been talking about. They continue, verse 19, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. These guys were sad. And so they recounted to this unrecognizable Jesus all of the events that took place. Here's how Jesus responded, verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus kept walking along with these guys, breaking down the scripture. And eventually they arrived at their destination. And so these two travelers invited Jesus in for a meal and he accepted their offer. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Why did it happen like this? Why, did, why was it something about this meal and Jesus breaking bread that their, that their eyes were open? They finally realized it was Jesus with them. We're going to get into that in a minute. Now let's fast forward just a couple of weeks. Jesus had given instructions to his disciples to meet him up in Galilee, which is the countryside north of the big city of Jerusalem. Galilee was the site of so many of the famous miracles of Jesus, the feeding of 5,000 people. Jesus calming the wind and the waves. Jesus walking on water. Well, it turns out that Jesus had another miracle in store for his disciples. This is John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So all of the disciples gathered up in Galilee waiting for Jesus to arrive, and it appears that Peter got a little antsy, and so he organized a fishing trip. Now it says that there were six others who decided to go with him. The other four disciples were likely nearby, either on the shore or in the villages. And so they got out onto this boat, the seven of them, but unfortunately the fish just weren't biting. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Finally, Jesus is back. You know, the first two times that Jesus appeared to his disciples, they weren't expecting it. But this one, they were anticipating. And finally, he was back. 
You know, I had the chance to visit the Sea of Galilee just a couple of months ago when I went to Israel. And we got out on a fishing boat out onto the Sea of Galilee. And one of the local fishermen showed all of us on the boat how they used to do it back in Peter's day. I got a little video of it. Check this out. So he tried the other side and he caught fish. No, I'm just playing. That didn't really happen. (laughs) But this is an example of what Peter and the disciples did for hours over and over again, casting the net onto the boat and not getting anything. All of their efforts came up unsuccessful until Jesus arrived. And when Jesus told them what to do, a miracle occurred and they collected all of these fish. And John was the first one who said, that's Jesus on the shore. Here's how Peter responded. Verse 7, As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Peter wasn't waiting for the disciples to to bring the net full of fish back onto the boat. He decided to dive in headfirst and get to the shore as fast as possible. And eventually all of the other disciples would join him, and this is what happened when they all arrived. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Now, it's important to note here that Jesus is in a physical body eating a physical meal. This is not a ghost. It's not like he picked up a drink, you know, a cup to drink, and it just poured out the back of his spirit-like head, you know, out into the rocks. Jesus was and is in a physical body. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter was the leader of all these disciples. He was the guy who dived into the water first. In in previous years, he was the guy who, who tried to walk on water along with when he saw Jesus doing it. He was the guy who pulled out his sword and tried to attack the people who arrested Jesus. Peter was the leader. There's a reason why you always see his name listed first when the disciples are mentioned in the Bible. And so by Jesus publicly questioning Peter's commitment, in many ways, Jesus was questioning the commitment of all his disciples. Peter was the spokesperson. And when he affirmed his commitment to Jesus, this was Jesus' statement in verse 19, follow me. And they did. The whole band is back together now. Jesus was raised to life. In many ways, his disciples had new life. All was right in the world again. So what does any of this have to do with us? 
What are these events, these travelers on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appearing for the third time to his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, what do these have to do with you and I today? I believe that these stories were included in the scripture to be an encouragement for followers of Jesus. Because listen, these aren't the stories about hardened hearts. These aren't stories about bloodthirsty enemies. These are stories about scattered sheep with a flickering faith. And Jesus is the good shepherd, and he does not abandon his sheep. And in the face of heartache, confusion, and disappointment, Jesus showed up. He always shows up. And when he does, he brings with him hope and encouragement and direction, which is precisely what many of you need this morning. Many of us are, are, are in a place today where we, we relate with these people. We're feeling a bit disappointed. We're feeling a bit scattered. We're feeling a bit hopeless. Maybe the, all of the excitement of Easter Sunday has worn off and the reality of life has settled right back in. Bills, doctor visits, family issues, work problems. And we're feeling a bit lost. So Jesus wants to encourage you today. If this sounds like you, I want you to get great encouragement from how Jesus interacted with his disciples who were barely hanging on because it gives us an indication of how he deals with his followers today. And so I see from this passage three powerful truths about how Jesus deals with us. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first one. Jesus retrieves us from the wandering. The reality is that many of us turn our backs on Jesus and walk away. But in his love and in his grace, he keeps pursuing us. Let's go back to the two travelers on the road to Emmaus. Jesus jumped right into their path and asked them what they were talking about. And so they went on to explain. Listen to their words again. This is verse 21 of Luke 24. We had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So here's a quick checklist of the five things these guys affirmed. Number one, it was the third day after the death of Jesus. Number two, some women who were respected and trusted went and visited the tomb and found the stone rolled away. Number three, Jesus' body was missing. Number four, they claimed to have seen an angel who flatly declared that Jesus is alive. And number five, the disciples went to investigate for themselves and confirmed that the tomb was indeed empty. So what did these two travelers do with all of this evidence? They walked away. They packed their belongings and left town. They weren't walking toward the empty tomb. They were walking away from it. These two men got on a road that headed away from Jesus. What road are you walking on this morning? Because every road leads somewhere. Are you on a road that's headed toward Jesus? Are the people you're walking with headed toward Jesus? 
Are the goals you set headed toward Jesus? Are the desires you have headed toward Jesus? The bad news for these two travelers is they were walking away from Jesus. The good news is he came and tracked them down. How did he do it? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Emmaus was a seven-mile journey from Israel. So if you're walking that at an average pace, it'd probably take you about three hours. But it says here that Jesus was talking about Moses and all the prophets of the Old Testament. It probably took a lot of time to stop and read the scriptures. That could have doubled this excursion. So consider this. On the same day that Jesus rose from the grave, he took upwards of six hours explaining the Bible to a couple of discouraged followers. And on top of that, he took them up on their dinner invitation. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. What was it about this moment that that things finally clicked? Well, notice that Jesus moved from being a guest to being the host. He broke the bread. He said the blessing. That's the role of the host, not the guest. This is something Jesus did so many times before, whether it was the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 4,000 or the Last Supper. Jesus broke the bread and said the prayer. And maybe when they saw Jesus acting with his authority, that's when the lights turned on. Or perhaps as they were sitting around the table and Jesus broke the bread, they saw the nail marks in his wrists. And that's the moment the lights turned on. We can't know for sure, but we do know that it was in this instance when they realized that the risen Jesus was at their dinner table. Isn't it amazing to think how long we can walk with Jesus and not even realize he's been with us every step of the way? And how did these two guys respond when they realized it? Verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In other words, why didn't we see this sooner? We sensed something going on in our hearts when we were walking along the road, and we didn't respond. Friends, the way that Jesus dealt with these two travelers is very similar to how he deals with us today. You see, after Jesus left, he, he gave us his spirit, his Holy Spirit. When you trust Jesus by faith, when you surrender your life to him, in that instance, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And this Holy Spirit does a lot in the life of a believer. He gives you power. He helps give you understanding so you can know what the scriptures mean. And among the many things is that he convicts believers of sin. And so when we're walking on a road that is not headed toward Jesus, there is a burning that starts to take place in our heart. That's the Spirit of God sounding the alarm saying, do a U-turn. And some of us right now are on some very, very dangerous roads. Some of you are walking a road that will lead to an affair. Some of you are walking on a road that will lead to you getting fired from your job. Some of you are on a road that will lead to addiction, broken hearts, uh, all kinds of other pain, including financial ruin. 
And maybe even as you're sitting here in this moment, you sense there is a burning in my heart. You know what that is? That's Jesus trying to retrieve you from your wandering. He loves you too much to let you just walk away. And that's what he did with these two travelers. It's what he does with us too. So here's the first thing. Jesus retrieves us from the wandering. Here's the second one. Jesus reminds us of the mission. What's the mission for every follower of Christ? To know Jesus and make him known. Are you living that mission? Or have you gotten off course? Let's go back to John chapter 21 when Jesus appeared to his disciples on the shore of Galilee. Verse four says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Why is it that John made that connection so fast? It was really dark. The person on the shore was far away. How could he have known that was Jesus? Here's how. This wasn't the first time they experienced this exact miracle. Jesus performed this one years earlier when he first called them to be disciples. It's recorded in Luke chapter five, verse four. It says, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This was the moment a couple of rough and rugged everyday Joes surrendered to the call of Jesus, and their lives were never the same. They embarked on the adventure of a lifetime. They had no idea what would be in store for them. No idea the people they would meet and the places they would visit, the incredible joys they would experience and the incredible pains they would endure. And so on the shore of Galilee, three years later, Jesus performed the exact same miracle. It was as if he was calling them again. He wanted to remind them of what it was like when they first said yes. Friends, listen. Sometimes Jesus needs to take us backward before he moves us forward. I remember my very first job as a pastor. There was a church in the East Coast and they needed somebody to lead their young adults and for some strange reason, they picked me. And I was so excited. I had so many ideas and I was so enthusiastic. I was newly married and Kate and I were ready to dive into this church and, and pursue this calling. It took me exactly one day to realize just how unhealthy this church was. You know, when you're just a young guy who doesn't know anything about anything, you view life through rose-colored glasses and I clearly missed all the warning signs. I mean, there was so much fighting going on in this church. The staff were fighting with each other. The people were fighting with each other. 
There's rampant gossip, constant complaining, controversy on top of controversy. And this was the environment that I led in for three years. And at the end of that, I was so beaten down and discouraged that I was questioning if I even had what it took to be a pastor. I remember my wife describing me to a friend like a, like a firefly whose light was pulled out of its body. And I was wondering, God, do I need to leave the ministry? And so I began praying about it. I committed to praying. I said, God, will you show me clearly what are the next steps I need to take and if I need to continue in this calling or find something else? A couple of weeks later, I was walking around the church looking for something, and I found myself in a room where they archived all of the recorded messages that had been preached at this church. So I started looking through them, and I found the message that I preached when I first got there. And I thought, oh, this will be interesting. I don't even remember what I said. So, so I hit play. And as I listened, what I heard was a young man who had passion, a young man who had conviction, a young man who was eager to serve the Lord. And I sat there in that room by myself, and I started crying because I thought, I don't even know who that guy is anymore. That guy is long gone. And I sensed God speaking to me. You forgot about the mission. You got off target. Get back in the boat and start fishing for people. And God reaffirmed in me my calling by taking me back. I want to ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to go back to the moment where you first said yes. Do you remember the excitement? Do you remember the change? Do you remember how eager you were to know Jesus and to make him known? Is that still the person you are today? If it's not, you've forgotten the mission. To know Jesus and to make him known. Right now in your life, are you pursuing him to know him more? Are you telling others about him? If not, Jesus today is speaking to you, reminding you to get back to doing the things he's called you to do. He's reminding you of the mission, just like he did with all those disciples back then. Jesus retrieves us from the wandering. He reminds us of the mission. Here's one more. He restores us to the team. Friends, listen. In your spiritual journey, at some point in time, you are going to fall. We all do. At some point in time, you may make some really bad choices that will incur consequences as a result. And one of those consequences is embarrassment from your failure. Peter experienced this firsthand. His failure was played out famously. It happened on the night Jesus was arrested. They tied Jesus up and shipped him off to the house of the high priest, and Peter quietly followed at a distance, trying to keep a low profile. This is... Luke chapter 2, verse 55 says, And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with Jesus. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, 
Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly, just like Jesus said it would happen. Peter denied Christ three times. And when he realized it, he ran into the darkness with tears streaming down his cheeks. So in light of this, let's go back to when Jesus was with his disciples on the shore of Galilee. Look at all of the similarities that took place in John 21. This is verse 4. Early in the morning, verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire. Verse 17, the third time Jesus said to him, do you see what's going on here? Jesus was recreating the denial of Peter. The early hours of the morning when it was still dark, people warming themselves by the firelight, people asking Peter if he knew Jesus three times. This had to be torture for Peter. This was the lowest moment of his life, and Jesus wouldn't let it go. Even the, the gospel writer John took note of it. In verse 21, or verse 17 of John 21, he said, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter had to be thinking, Jesus, can you just let it go? Here's what's so key about being restored into a relationship is you have to confront the problem at some point. Jesus is always ready to forgive but in order to be restored, that needs to be demonstrated by your behavior. And it begins by confronting what you did. He refused to just let Peter walk away as if nothing happened. So he recreated the scene and asked Peter three times if he loved Jesus. Why three times? Because Peter denied him three times. He forced Peter to confront the problem. And so at some point in time, if you want to be restored to Jesus, you can't keep running. What did Peter do? Look what it says in verse 7. When he, when he saw, when he heard Simon Peter say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken off and jumped into the water. For somebody who is carrying the shame and embarrassment of denying Jesus, he did the right thing. He dived in head first and got to Jesus as fast as possible. So many of us, we do the opposite. We feel so guilty over letting Jesus down that we, we, we are embarrassed and we decide to keep him at a distance. So we stop coming to church. We ghost the people in our small group. We systematically cut out anyone and anything that reminds us of Jesus because who wants to be reminded of their failure? Friends, that's not solving the problem. It's avoiding it. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to distance yourself from Jesus and, and any follower of Jesus because when you're in isolation, you are far easier to defeat. Let's take a page from Peter's book. Let's not run from Jesus. Let's dive in head first into the waters of forgiveness and restoration. And Jesus stood eyeball to eyeball with Peter and asked him, do you love me? And each question had to sting just a little more than the previous. But Peter was able to look Jesus in the eye and say, yes, I'm in, I'm committed. And then Jesus invited him, follow me. And Peter said, yes. If you want to be restored to Jesus, 
You cannot run from the problem. You've got to confront it. And the only one who's going to truly help you is Jesus. All of us need to be restored into a relationship with Jesus. Some of us have just drifted off course. Some of us have blatantly walked away. But there's probably quite a few of us that never had a relationship with Jesus to begin with. And maybe today is the day that you want to be restored to him for the first time. How does that happen? Well, just like Peter, you have to admit you're part of the problem. See, if we can't admit that we're a sinner, we'll definitely never admit that we need a savior. The second part of this is, is you got to believe. Peter believed that Jesus was the only one who could help him. That's why he jumped into the water. Do you believe that Jesus is the only one who could forgive you of your sins and give you exactly what you need? You got to believe that Jesus died in your place and that he loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And then you got to commit to following him. Jesus warned Peter, the road ahead's going to be hard. You sure you're in? Peter said, I'm in. And when you commit to following Jesus, there is no guarantee it's going to be an easy road ahead. But when you say yes, Jesus will forgive you of your sins and he will give you the power, both in this life and in the life to come, to live for him. And so if you've never intentionally invited Christ into your life, I want to help you do that right here, right now. In fact, I want to ask everyone to bow your heads and to close your eyes, and I want you to take a moment to just assess where your heart is this morning. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior, then I want to challenge you to repeat this prayer after me in the silence of your own heart. These are nothing more than empty words unless you have the faith to believe them for yourself. So I want you to repeat after me. Jesus, today I give you my life. Jesus, today I give you my life. I admit I have sinned against you. But I believe you will forgive me. I believe you died for me. I believe you are alive now. And I ask that you give me new life. Give me the power to make a U-turn. To leave my old life behind. And follow you. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Now, if you're somebody who prayed that prayer for the very first time today, let us help you. Here's one of the ways you can do that. On the program you received when you came in, there's a perforated card. You can just tear that off, and at the bottom is a little box that says, I said yes to Jesus. You could just fill this out and drop them in the offering bag as they come by, and one of our staff people will get in touch with you and just walk you through what it means to follow Christ. Maybe you made that decision already, but you're not going anywhere. We want to help you take your next step. Here's how. Text the word NEXT to 909-281-7797. Again, one of our staff people will receive that text message and interact with you and help customize what your next step will be. That could be joining a small group. You heard about Rooted. Maybe it's getting baptized. Maybe you just need somebody to talk to about your questions. Maybe you need some assistance of some kind. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or you can stop by the next step table in our lobby before you go out and have a face-to-face conversation with someone right now. 
Friends, after all of these events took place, the road to Emmaus and Jesus appearing to his disciples, this is what he said, Acts 1, verse 4. He told his disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. Jesus was sending his disciples back to the scene of the crime, back to ground zero of persecution. Why in the world would Jesus send his disciples to Jerusalem? That's where we're going to pick things up next week. So be thinking about who you can invite with you to hear a message about the power of Christ in somebody's life. Until then, remember this. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he does not abandon his sheep. Jesus retrieves us in the wandering. Jesus reminds us of the mission. And Jesus restores us to the team. He wants you on the team. The question is, do you want to be on the team? Even when we turn our backs on Jesus, even when we walk away from Jesus, even when we forget who Jesus is and what he's done, in his amazing love, he keeps chasing us down. So let's open our eyes and realize he's been with us every step of the way. You believe it? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus into the world to save us. We thank you that we're not worshiping a God who's six feet under, who's just rotting in some grave somewhere, but a God who is alive and who, who is making himself available to live in us. What an invitation, Lord. I pray none of us walk out of here without that certainty that we are unified and reconciled, restored a relationship with you, Jesus. I pray now as we give these gifts, these offerings, these tithes, these financials, Lord, I pray that you take these and, and, and you bless them, Lord. May this act of worship be one of recognizing that all we have is yours to begin with and you've just allowed us to manage it. So we, we pray that you take these gifts and use them to impact lives everywhere. God, we love you. We need you. We're not perfect. We are fallen. We make mistakes and we just thank you for the fact that you don't give up on us. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And if you believe it in your heart, then let the church say, amen. amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one -one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.